we've been dealing over since the beginning of the year. You know, you're resolving our lives in areas to grow in Christ. I want to take a little bit further in that. Title this message, Blessed to be a Blessing. Blessed to be a Blessing. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 9. Actually, we're going to be spending, well, we're going to be looking at several chapters in Matthew, but chapter 9 is actually where we see as a transitional chapter. A verse that's there. And we're going to study this a little bit. Again, titled, Blessed to be a Blessing. Blessed to be a Blessing. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. Father, I pray right now that as we know your word has been anointed, that each one of us now will receive the message here this morning. Open our hearts and minds that we can understand and comprehend, Lord, exactly what's being said. Holy Spirit, have your way in our lives and tug a little bit here and there that we might take and conform willingly, Lord, and, and be burdened with the message here today that you can touch each life and we can touch those around us. Because if we will be a blessing, we will be blessed. And you'll receive that glory, Lord, in all things. And you'll ultimately receive the glory. We love you much. Amen and amen. In Matthew, we find that the Sermon on the Mount is preached by one of the greatest, well, the greatest teacher who ever lived, Jesus himself. And that's Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Jumping ahead a little bit further on, you're going to find Matthew chapter 10, where Jesus is sending his disciples out into a mission. So at that moment, you see Jesus becoming a sender of people who are going on a mission. And in between uh, chapters 5 and 7, there is a chapters, 5 and 7 and 10, there's chapters 8 and 9. Chapters 8 and 9 are kind of like a transitional uh, chapter. It's a little bit of transitional time that's there. Chapters 8 and 9, you're going to find the focus upon Jesus and his healing and miracle ministry. It happens right after he's done preaching the message in the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, as you go through those chapters, chapters 8 and 9, you're going to find at least 11 different instances of miracles or healings that Jesus occurred, that occurred with Christ. Different miracles. Those two chapters. You're going to find things, well, you're going to find the healing of the leper healing of the centurion's servant, how that he heals uh, Peter's mother-in-law, then he heals many in Capernaum. And that very same evening, the scripture says he he calmed the storms, then he heals two demon-possessed men. He heals a paralyzed man, and then he heals a woman who had 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 an issue of blood for over ten years. He raises a dead girl to life, and then he heals two blind men, then he heals a mute demon-possessed man. So as you go through the scriptures, you're going to find those passages, you're going to find at least 11 different instances in those two chapters where Jesus is healing. And the focus is on Christ's healing and his miracles. It's very important. Miracles and healings are very important to the ministry of Christ. But in addition to the healing and miracles, Jesus also, in those passages, we find focused on teaching what discipleship really was and also teaching his disciples that following him was going to cost something taught them what it was going to look like to be a real Christian, to be a follower of Christ. And so we find him instructing his disciples throughout the ministry of healing. But he also warns. He warns his disciples that following him is going to require faith. Not just believing things are going to go well, but putting their faith and trust in his word. Applying that word to their lives. That is going to require a relationship. A relationship in God that would put all others 
in second place. That relationship with God would be ahead of all other concerns of life. That making your relationship with God, following Jesus, must be primary to our lives. He told them that they also needed to take a good look at themselves from time to time. Because they too were going to need, because of the day's journey, because the influences around them, they too were going to need a time of transformation and salvation. And not salvation to bring them to heaven, but just that cleansing that needed to go through on a day-to-day basis because we are bombarded by so much junk. And they were bombarded by so much stuff even at that day. And then he tells them that their relationship with God, that if they're going to be a follower of Christ, the relationship with God was going to have to be built on entirely different set of rules. That relationship with Christ meant that they were going to have to be living their lives by a whole new set of principles, ones that they had never used before. See, up to that time, the disciples, well, they were Jewish, and they were, were going to make the right sacrifices, live by the right rules, and they were going to do those sacrifices at the right time. And Jesus was saying, listen, as he begins to instruct them, doing the right thing at the right time doesn't build a relationship with me. Because salvation actually requires something completely totally different from just going through the motions. It is so easy for us to go through the motions, be on time, go through the song service and in our lives, just day by day, going through the same things over and over again. And Jesus was saying, just going through the routine day in and day out, naming your name, your name is Christ, a name as a child of the King, is not going to build a relationship. It's just not going to. Not going through the motions. Look to the person inside you and say, don't just go through the motions. I didn't hear anybody say that now. Don't just go through the motions. Don't just go through it. And so, when you're reading this passage of Scripture, you're going to note that we're going to begin to see, get an understanding, <coughs> excuse me, an understanding of Christ's healing and miracles and the reason why he actually was doing some of those. And the teaching that was going to be there. And we can begin to understand the reason behind those things, put in perspective everything that he was going to do and what he was continued to do from that point on. Building a different relationship. Building a different relationship with Jesus. Not going through the motions. At that time he was also hinting the beginning of a need for his crucifixion and need for death and resurrection. So chapters 8 and 9 are a focus on the kingdom and on ministry. And there are also very important passages there. In the ninth chapter, here's what we read. Read in the beginning, Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Hint, hint. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Hint, hint. You know how we do that once in a while. We, you know, to get a point across, we kind of hint, hint. It's like when you walk by your teenager's room and the thing's a mess. And you walk by and you make the suggestion, well, you know, it would really be nice if people and young people learned how to clean up their rooms. Hint, hint. Now, you know the child knows exactly what you're talking about, right? And that's basically what Jesus was doing. So I want you to ask, because listen, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. You ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers, hint, hint, into the harvest field. Wow. Here's the thought for today. 
let us settle in. At first it may kind of be one of those things like, what? But the thought for today is this. Compassion motivates the work of evangelism. Even while the prayers of God's people empower the work of the harvest. You've got to have compassion if you're going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with other people. And prayer is the key which empowers the work of the harvest. Can you say amen? So verse 35, very good, it's, it summarizes everything that's happened in those chapters prior to. It's telling us the very purpose of Christ's life. How that his ministry was to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. And of course he was doing that for the ultimate glory of the Father. And there are some things as you go through this passage of Scripture, there are some things that uh, we can gather from that verse. First of all, to accomplish the mission, to accomplish the, His purpose, Jesus had to go where the people were. It's a simple little thing, but sometimes we forget. If you're going to minister to folks and you're going to bring the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to those around, then you've got to go where the people are. You're going to do that. We learned that. Amen. So you mark that down. See, Jesus' purpose, the Scripture says, was to what? Seek and to save that which is lost. He was to seek and to save that which was lost. In the 10th chapter, you're going to find how the Jesus is now going to commission His disciples to go out into the world and to do the very same thing He was doing. He called His 12 disciples to Him and He gave them authority, notice this, to drive out evil spirits and heal every every disease and sickness. The scripture then would take and name all the disciples that were going out there. And he tells them to go. To go out. He wanted them to spread the gospel, the good news. He wants you and I to, to spread the gospel of, of salvation. To be a blessing to those around us. And to be a blessing to those around us, we have to go where the people are. We have to be available go. And what I find interesting too is that Jesus not only preached the gospel, but he also met the real physical needs of the folks. The folks he came in touch with, they had physical needs and he, he touched their lives there. And I said, well, why would he do that? Well, I think the reason why he did that is because sometimes those physical pains and circumstances can be a, an obstacle and actually be a barrier to people healing hearing the message of the gospel. If you look at the scriptures, look at the kinds of people that Jesus actually, the kinds of miracles that people were touched with and how he touched them. and How that Jesus would create an environment so that the gospel would be more likely to be heard and received. Sometimes we're not creating that environment so people can hear it, the message of Jesus Christ. But Jesus did that. He created the environment so that people would hear and listen and receive. I mean, listen for a moment. If you were a demon-possessed person or you had been bleeding for 10 years or you had leprosy or lying in bed with a high fever, you might be less likely to hear the gospel when it was preached to you. Something else would be on your mind. You're being distracted. And so by removing those obstacles, Jesus could meet their true spiritual needs as well. So we need to understand something. We need to understand that we've been called to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've been called to do that. 
But we also have been called in the process of doing that to diminish the suffering where we can. That means investing a little bit of our time and energy into the person and not just throwing something at them. They need to hear. Jesus teaches us to prepare an environment so they'll hear. And so we have in verse 35, Jesus goes out there and he's about ministry. He's doing that. And he goes out to the countryside. He goes from village to village, town to town, preaching the gospel, ministering to their needs. And here in verse 36, we see the motive behind what he's doing. He's not after the numbers. He's not after the finances. What's he about? Compassion. It's compassion that moves him. I'll tell you what, you cannot be an effective evangelist, you cannot be an effective uh, uh, of souls, being a, bring forth the message of Jesus Christ, unless you have compassion in your life for those you're speaking to. They're not just a number. They're not just somebody there that you're running into. Verse 36 says, when he saw the crowds, he had what? Compassion on them. Why? Because they were harassed, helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. There it is. That was one of the motivations for his early ministry. One of the reasons why he came and why he would minister, why he would die for mankind. Why? One of the reasons why he would come was to ease the suffering. Because he had compassion for the world. Look at the word compassion. It literally means, it literally means a, a gut-wrenching, heart-melting ache. Jesus was moved in the inner parts. He was torn apart inside when he saw folks who didn't know him or follow him. Which reminds us that we are to be connected to Christ in the exact same way. If you continue reading as, as Matthew is writing out, he's leading us to this prayer in verse 38. And that's the point of the prayer. That we are to become like Christ in this. Become like Jesus. We are to, to feel the depth of compassion as he felt for his mission, as he felt for others. We are to have the same depth of compassion for the mission and for others. And so when we pray, we are to be seeing people who they really are. We are to receive that gift of discernment so that we can certainly see beyond the facade. Get to the heart. Get, Father, God, Holy Spirit, give us that insight that when we talk to someone, we meet somebody, that you will give us the insight to what's really ticking in their heart. And, and stay away from these plat, ABC kind of presentations of the gospel. We'll be able to minister to where they are and share with them. God Almighty, give us the insight so we might speak to their spirit and let them recognize who Jesus truly is. Amen? They're not just another number. They're not just another number, another opportunity. They're not. We need to see people who they really are. And if they don't know Christ, then they're desperate in need of a good shepherd. And I'll tell you what, sometimes it's hard for us to think like that. Because we naturally don't think at that level of compassion. Oh, we might have compassion once in a while. We have compassion for a family member or someone who is sick or diseased that we know of, we come in contact with. Someone's close to us. But generally not that depth. We're more casual. But remember, Jesus had compassion on them, not just because they were hurting, but the scripture says they had compassion because they were harassed and helpless 
and torn. The Bible translates, some Bibles actually translate that issue that they were torn apart. They were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And that's just how Jesus feels like he's torn apart about people who don't know him. And I pray God that would give us that insight, that burden, so that we become torn apart, recognizing the people who don't know him. Oh, they might be religious, but remember we said in the very beginning of the service, you can take two people who name the name of Christ, but they're different because one, Jesus is simply a house guest, and the other, we'll become his servant. There's a difference. Oh, we might see people as they really are. Give us that insight, Lord. That's how Jesus felt about people who didn't know him. He was torn apart. And Matthew is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's bringing us to this prayer. And we are to pray to the Lord of the harvest. We are to pray, Lord, to the harvest. Send, send workers into the harvest. But you can't pray, really pray that message if you don't understand the message of the kingdom. If you don't have that heart of compassion, you really can't pray that prayer. Because it's not a burden. To pray that prayer, Lord, send workers into the harvest. You, you need to be burdened like Jesus was burdened. You need to be able to identify with the needs of others. Remember the greatest commandment of the law in Matthew 22 was this. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is that you what? Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Because when you love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, it's going to enable you to love your neighbor as yourself. And that begins to, that's when you begin to love your neighbor with that compassion, that heart-wrenching compassion. I don't care what a person says they are. We can see beyond. Give us an insight to see beyond. We might minister to them. And God might minister to them. Amen. When you love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind, it enables you to love your neighbor as yourself. And when you begin to love them like yourself, you can't help but feel compassion for them. You begin to see them in their utter state of complete lostness. Which means that you're going to have to make, I'm going to have to make, we're going to have to make conscious decisions to go out of our way to see people like Jesus sees people. That might bring a burden in our life. It might. And the only way we can really love them then, and Jesus tells us to love them, is to love them with a gut-wrenching level of sorrow for the lost and the lonely in this world. You see, well, Pastor Bob, all right, so what am I supposed to do in response to that feeling, in response to that compassion? Well, that compassion, that response, that, that, that gut-wrenching, that, that should actually be welling up inside of us. The answer is in verse 38. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Begin to pray that way. Well, Jesus has just been instructing his disciples about teaching and preaching and healing. Now this is important because in Matthew 10, Jesus is going to say to them, now you go out and do the same. And I hope you understand, I hope you see the incredible, important transitional passage this is. Because up to this point, the disciples were the object of Christ's ministry. But now they're going to change and become partners in his ministry. He is now going to 
send them on a mission. Up to that point, they had been receiving a message, but now he's going to send them on a a mission with this message. He said, I want you to pray. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into this harvest field. This passage of Scripture, Matthew 9, verse 35, 38, 35 through 6 and 7 38, is a transitional, it's a bridge between what Jesus has been doing and what he's now asking the disciples to join in. Folks, look to the person inside of you and say, we are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. We're ambassadors of the kingdom of God. We are called to be a blessing. We are called to be a blessing. Amen. Jesus is actually calling us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Wow. He's been instructing his disciples and teaching them about this. He has been calling them to pray that kingdom come. And then he would tell his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Well, the very first thing I get from that passage of Scripture in Matthew 9, 37, is that the harvest is plentiful. There's a whole lot of people outside these four walls who are lost, who, who may, in fact, name themselves as Christians, but they are lost. He is just a guest in their lives. He's just part of what they go through, what they soothe their conscience with. But to really have a commitment to understand, have a love for God, like a fire born inside the, shut up inside their bone, they don't have that. And so we need to see the lost and lonely like sheep without a shepherd. And then we need to also understand there's not enough laborers. Because when we look at ourselves and look at the scripture, we are the evangelists, we are the harvesters, we're the ones that will lead people into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and there's not enough of us. Yet at the same time, we're not responsible for the growth of the seed just to plant the seed. We're not responsible for the outcome. We've been empowered and sent by God into the fields as laborers to lead men. Remember what Jesus would say in Matthew 28. He would say this. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. In Romans chapter 10, he would say this. How then can they call on the one They have not believed. And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? And it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You know, it's not just about the words that we speak to someone. But it's the life we display. And you say amen. How many times we've said Show them Jesus Christ. And if you have to, use words. If you have to, use words. See, we're sent. As the disciples were sent, we are sent to be laborers. And the scripture says the laborers are few. 
And when you look at the task, when you look at the field, you say, it's so vast. How in the world can we do this? And actually, the labor we're putting into, it almost seems hopeless. But we need to remember something. That our God is the Lord of the harvest. Amen. And we are the laborers called and empowered to evangelize, to disciple, and to train others. We've been called to mentor them and to bring them into a relationship with Jesus Christ and at least give them all the right reasons to serve the Lord. But we're not responsible for someone who accepts or rejects the message. That's the result of the work of the Holy Spirit. That depends upon the individual's willingness to either accept or reject that gift of salvation. And then Jesus would tell his disciples, I want you to pray. Pray for laborers in the harvest. I find that interesting because that's a passage of Scripture that Jesus spoke to the disciples and a passage of Scripture, a requirement or saying pray to every child of God since that time. Pray. He was instructing the disciples then to pray for labor and harvest and he instructed every Christian that has ever lived who's living now and whoever will live to pray for the same. And I started thinking, if he was instructing the disciples to pray for laborers and the harvest, then they actually were praying for us. They're actually praying that we would get into the field at some point. That we would be the ones that Jesus is talking about here. That means that throughout the church history, countless numbers of Christians have been specifically praying for each and every one of us. They've been praying that God would enable and empower us to carry out that purpose that we're here for, to spread that gospel, that good news, that good news of Jesus Christ. With this in mind, Paul writes, we constantly are praying for you. <laughs> Praise God. It's not just the church at Thessalonica. No, no. He's talking about us. He, they were constantly praying for us, generations to come, 2,000 years later, that our God may count you worthy of this calling, what? To bring forth that message as laborers into a harvest field. And that by His power we might fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. We pray this, that the name of the Lord Jesus might be glorified in you and that you and Him, according to the grace of God, of our God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Laborers. How that we have been prayed for by generations prior to and how we should be praying also for ourselves and for the generation to come. Lord, send laborers into the harvest. For it only takes one generation, which is one generation away, from losing the knowledge of who our God is. One generation away. If we fail to teach the next generation, they'll lose that insight. When I think about that passage of Scripture, wow, think about how exciting that is that over 2,000 years ago, Jesus asked all Christians who ever lived to pray for us. And He's asking us to pray for the next generation. That means that the apostles were praying for us. We're descendants of, praying for us to bring forth that message, to be laborers in the harvest. It means not only those in the church, but laborers and visionaries throughout the church history are praying for us at this moment, as we will be praying for those in the next. Send, Lord, laborers into the harvest field. And individuals have been praying for every land, every tribe, this side of heaven, have been praying for you and I. And that's one of the ways, that's the way, one of the ways that Jesus is able to fulfill the Great Commission. 
teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. Because he's with us, the scripture says. He, is, he said he was with us, empowering us and motivating us, encouraging us through the prayers of fellow believers. Folks, if there's anything we can ever do to, to, to enable, <laughs> if we're ever going to be enabled to do anything, we have to be assured that if we desire to be a blessing, if we desire to reach out to the lost, lonely, helpless, and hopeless, if we desire to, to reach out to the distra- distressed and the downcast and show them hope, the reality that's available to them in Christ Jesus. If we truly desire to be a blessing, then God will bless and lives will be transformed and changed. We need to pray. We need to pray on a day-to-day basis, Lord, use us. Lord, I want to be used today of you. Father, I don't want to just hear what people are proclaiming. I want to see their hearts. Show me, Lord. Because you tell you what, that's the key. A key purpose to our life is to be a blessing to those around. Let me ask you something. What do you pray earnestly for? What are you praying earnestly for today? Ever pray for something that you almost put no effort into? But you asked anyways? I mean, that might describe most of our school years. We get to a situation, we're going to make it, oh Lord, help me in this test. I know I didn't study for it, but I really need you to intervene right now and bring back their memory. I mean, most of our school age years were based upon that, right? Praying, you know, praying, you know, praying today. Super Bowl, right? It's going to be a fun time. and I really don't care who wins. You know? But there are going to be some who are praying for the Chiefs of this one over here and just wanting somehow, oh, God Almighty, and they're praying for their favorite team. You might pray one day as you're speeding to church because you're late. Oh, God, don't give me a speeding ticket. Don't give me a speeding ticket. And you're praying earnestly, you know. <laughs> what do you typically pray for? Oh, we pray for family and friends. That's good. We pray for our own problems and our own difficulties, our own healing. We might even be confronted with the word, so we have to pray for forgiveness for our sins, etc. We may even take time and pray for salvation of others. Oh, that's noteworthy. But what does Jesus say we are to be asking for? In verse 38. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Hint, hint, hint. You know, a study was recently done. I read this and I was like, really? That more people pray to win the lottery than normally pray to win the lost. I see a real problem. That was a a survey done among Christians. Quote, unquote. So in chapter 9, on chapter 10, Jesus is going to send his disciples literally out into the harvest field. And they're going to become now the ones at one time who would receive the message of Jesus Christ. Now they're the ones who are going to share the message of Jesus Christ. And so Matthew has led us through the chapters 5 through 7 from the Sermon on the Mount dealing with the kingdom of God through the compassion of Jesus Christ to chapters 8 and 9, praying for a harvest. Because the answer to the labor shortage that we have, the labor shortage in the harvesting, the answer is you and me. 
Jesus would say that. He would say, come follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. He would then say, again, he would say, peace be unto you as the Father sent me. I'm sending you. That's how Jesus put it. So when you're praying, Lord, send laborers into the harvest, we're part of the answer to that prayer. Jesus literally told us this harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. He said, then I want you to ask the Lord for the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. Hint, hint. And again, I want to remind you that this passage that we're reading right now in, in 9, 35 through 38, that's actually that transitional chapter because the, because the next chapter, Jesus is going to say to the disciples, you're the harvesters, you're the workers, you're the laborers. That's what he calls the disciples together and gives them the authority. It reminds you that you and I are what? Light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds. What? And praise your Father in heaven. It's just not about words that we speak, but the life that we live. Let them see your good deeds. Be a blessing. You are, he's saying, as my followers, you are the only light of the world. And I want you to note that little word, are. It's present tense. It's a verb in present tense, meaning you are right now the only light of the world. Think about that. We are. We are the manifestation of the word of God. We are the light to the world around us. Jesus is saying, you are a photograph of me. You're a photograph of me to this dark world. A, a photograph, a photo of me. We're supposed to be a clear picture of who Jesus is to this dark world. Do you remember, do you remember all the old Polaroids? I still got mine. Probably wouldn't get any film for it, but remember? You'd, you'd push the little button and go, and it would come out, right? And you grab it, and what do you do? And you would look at it. It's still blurry. Right? You keep shaking until, you know, that's what you would do. You got you to get a clear picture. That's why you're fanning it. You don't want it fuzzy. If it's fuzzy, you still fan it. I wonder if we're giving the world a fuzzy picture of who Jesus is. I wonder if what we're giving them is a picture that's out of focus. I wonder if it's not developed fully yet. When people look at us, they're supposed to get a clear picture crystal clear picture of Jesus. Father, help us to become more like you. Amen. Aren't you glad for the grace of God that it doesn't happen like now? That it's a process? Amen. But we have to be willing. Praise God for that. Amen. Jesus spoke again and said, people, to People said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And you read this passage of Scripture, and then he says this, which I read before, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and the praise and praise your Father which is in heaven. Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and you are a reflection. You are to be a reflection of me. Just like the moon has no light in and of itself, but it reflects the sun. So you are to reflect. Christ. 
He was saying, in the same way, let your light shine. He said, don't prevent or forbid, but allow your light to shine before men. And he said this. Notice what, he didn't say, let your light shine. He said, that, that would be great to do that. But he adds a little verb in there called so. Which means, to such a great extent. He said, let your light so shine before men. Wow. So shine before men. That would be the King James, not the NIV. So shine. It was just like we find in John 3.16. It's for God loved the world. No, no. So loved the world to a greater extent. He said, I want you to be a blessing. I want you to be a blessing. Let them see Jesus. Amen. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, notice that he wants Christ to dwell in our hearts through faith. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27 would say to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mercy, which is what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. People cannot see the faith inside of you. They can't. But they can see the works outside of you. Allow God to use you to be a blessing. And you'll be blessed. I want to ask you to do something. Bringing it out now and you're going to have time later. During the day, some time for the week. But I want you to make a list. Make a list of your neighbors of your friends, your co-workers, family members, etc., who need to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, they, may, they might say, I'm a Christian. I go to church. God, give us insight so we really know the status of their lives. And make a list that we might be able to sh share the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. But I don't want you to corner them with the King James Bible and begin to quote all kinds of scriptures that they're going to hell. They don't accept Christ. What I want you to do is begin to pray for them. Begin to pray that the Spirit of God will begin to make a way. He is the one that reveals Jesus ultimately. Let Him begin to make a way in their lives. And let us be in tune to the opportunity that He's preparing for us. That takes a little time. It takes relationship at this point. Let's do that. I believe the Holy Spirit can open up doors that we cannot open. And I believe He'll lead when we, can, when we cannot be led. I, I believe He can do that. I believe He can. We need to be open to Him, close to Him, with a compassion for those around. Pray for them. Because prayer focuses you on the values of the Great Commission. And I want you to pray this week and go on beyond. I want you to walk through the doors that God will open this week and I want you to be a blessing. But you're going to need both compassion and evangelism to be a true example of Jesus Christ. And I want you to remember that in every area of our life, prayer is what empowers the work of evangelism. Prayer is what changes people's lives. Prayer is what sets us in place for the mind of our God. Prayer. It is through prayer that God chooses to hand out His grace into this world. And Jesus commands us to take very seriously and to commit ourselves to praying for the harvest. Notice this. He wants us to pray for the harvest instead of focusing on the sinfulness of the world. 
that's important. Oftentimes we focus on the sinfulness of someone or the sinfulness of the world and Jesus never tells us to focus on the sinfulness of the world. He said, I want you to focus on the harvest. Focus on the needs that are there. Be able to minister to them. Can you say amen? Can you say, that's what he's talking about. We need to focus on the lost. We need to focus on those who are cast down and cast out by our society. We need to, to pray specifically and passionately for them that Jesus would be revealed to them. He would reveal himself to them. As individuals, we need to be praying that. And as a body of Christ, we need to be praying that way. James says that the prayer of a righteous man is what? Great and powerful. And as we close service this morning in for time of prayer, I ask you to make that commitment. Commit to that list of those who need to be reached for Christ in your life. Don't take for granted that they're saved. Everything's fine. They need to have a desire for the word. They need to want to become more like Jesus. They, they need to be changed and transformed. Amen? Pray for them. And begin to pray that the Holy Spirit would open the door into their hearts that you might share Christ freely. I'm asking you now that between you and the Lord, you might cry out to them and that you might pray. And I want you to consider that list that you make up. That individual or individuals, consider that the ones you can show compassionate to. The same kind of compassion Jesus had for people who didn't know him, who saw folks who didn't know him like sheep without a shepherd. My prayer is, can you see those needs? You see those needs. Can you say, like the prophet Isaiah, here am I, send me. Send me. Here am I, send me. You know, that message, here am I, send me, is, is a consistent theme throughout all of the Bible. And as we enter into time of prayer this morning and days and further in the future, I want us to, to pray, Father, Lord of the harvest, send workers. And if you would, Lord, send me. Send me. That I might join in the kingdom message. The kingdom mission. 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 That I might become a blessing to others in the name of Jesus Christ. Let's just bow our heads right now. Lord, time for us simply to step back and to admit. To admit. That you're actually the one who sends us out on a mission for your namesake. And Father, we have to thank, we have to thank, we have to thank you that somebody would tell us about Jesus. We're not here because someone didn't tell us. We heard that message from someone. And thank you for that someone. And thank you for that someone who told that someone would ultimately tell us. I pray, Lord, that we as a body of Christ, we are not a, a, a we're not the dead end of this gospel, great gospel message, the great commission. We're not the dead end to it. It doesn't end with us. But it continues to the next generation. May we tell others so that others might tell others. Let us be a continuation of the message of the gospel. Help us, Lord Jesus, in this way. These altars are open, folks, and I want you to, you may not have time to write on your list, but you might have somebody in your heart and mind. 
But ultimately, I want you just to come spend time on these altars and say, Lord, send us. You've called us to be more than just seat warmers and pew warmers, but to display your, your word, to draw the people to, to you, to be a blessing, to be a blessing, to continue, to continue on praying for, for labors to the harvest. Send us out and then let us also pray for those to replace us for the next generation. Let our hearts and minds be centered upon this. Come before Him. Be a blessing. Live so the world can see nobody but Jesus. Amen? And God will bless in a mighty way. Grant us that compassion, that heart-wrenching compassion for those that we love and for those around us. Amen? And don't take anything for granted. It's so easy for us just to have that relationship and live. And, you know, they're kind and they go through their things and they have problems and they believe in God and they go to church once in a while and, you know, at least a couple times a year and they say this, that, and the other thing. No, folks, give us the insight. Let us be burdened enough to realize that there's a hell without Jesus Christ. I'm not talking denomination. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Makes all the difference in the world. And we need to be able to share that. Amen and amen. God Almighty, I thank you for your word this morning, for the challenge you make to us, that we would resolve once and for all to be a light. The light you've called us to be, to be a blessing to those around, that they might come to know you as Lord and Savior. Father, allow us to pray that way. Doors might be open. Your spirit might open up doors. We might be able to speak to them and share with them at the right time be able to see the real need, not the felt, but the real need that they have in their life and be able to minister to them. Father, I ask you to touch them in the mighty, mighty name. Oh, touch my name. God, touch those people by your mighty name. Let them know you. Be set free. We love you a bunch. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Folks, you're dismissed.